welcome to the Talking Talkie podcast, episode 28. We thought this week it was only fair to add a small disclaimer to the episode. There is quite a bit of swearing, and it's a rather long one. That said, we hope you have a great time listening. Thanks! Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Talking Talkie podcast. Uh, I'm Ben Coey and Nick French is here. Hello, Nick. Hello. Sam Drewiff is here. Hello, Sam. Good evening. And I'm delighted to introduce a special guest who will be with us tonight and in future podcasts, Mr. Will Taylor. Hello, Will. Hi, how are you doing? How are we doing? All right? Who signed uh... him up? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought I was on mute. I thought I was on mute. Go on, carry on. Uh, so, Will, very good, Sam. Very tell good. Us a little, if, if Will can just tell us a little bit about himself, how long has he been a Torquay fan, uh, what sort of things he gets up to? Yeah, so uh, I've been supporting Torquay uh, since I was about six or seven years old, since I moved down uh, to the Bay from the Midlands. Um, I was I was a Wolves fan when I was up there. Uh, I wanted still wanted to go to some football when I got home. Um, it, I think it was our first season back in the conference, my first full season supporting us. And um, ever since then, it, I literally just fell in love with it. It was um, it was a far cry from what I used to be watching, but it was just unbelievable. I just remember completely falling in love with playing more of the players that were there at the time, and it was uh, it was just fantastic. Um, I've since moved away to London, which is where I'm based at the moment but still follow Torquay um, home and away as much as I possibly can, obviously within reason. Um, not, that, not that anyone's been able to for the last year or so anyway. Um, but yeah, just uh, just a massive Torquay fan. Cut me open, I'm pretty sure I bleed yellow. That's that's the sort of level we're talking. So yeah, um, can't wait to get stuck into everything we've got to talk about today. Well, as you can hear, Will is a pro podcaster and he's going to put us to shame tonight, I'm sure. But um, we're talking on the Wednesday and we've given ourselves a couple of days to try and calm ourselves down after the agony on Sunday where we lost in the final at Bristol to Hartlepool. Uh, so going into the game, we'll start with that. Uh, Hartlepool were the opponents and uh, what were your thoughts going into the game? Nick, I'll start with you. Um, I can't say I was overly concerned, really. Um, Hartlepool had uh, scraped past Stockport. They, that game obviously came 24 hours after the Notts County uh, one. We were... We were we were electric, and that game was was a damp squib. And really, you'd watch that game and think, there's absolutely no way that either one of those sides could beat the Torquay team that had played the day before. So I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't worried by either of the teams that we faced. You know, Sam. Yeah, completely agree. I um, I fancied us. I mean, I've, how many times have I said this season on here that I fancied us all along to go up? Um, and that was right until we parked. As I was walking in, I just thought, oh, I don't like this. This is horrible. There's no... I think when you when, it, when we saw the ground, it felt real. Um, I think that was just pre, pre-match nerves. But, yeah, I, I I really thought we were going to do it. I really did. Will, your thoughts, thoughts on Hartley, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't remember a big game that I've ever been to as a Torquay fan where I've genuinely been confident that we would win. Sunday seems like the only example I could possibly think of. It was literally a case where I I was obviously so nervous all week leading up to it. Everyone was. It's all anyone could possibly think about. But 
there was a genuine, I don't want to say expectation because that's the wrong word, but there was a genuine, genuine belief. I think that if we beat Notts County, who were quite a tough team, we'd had quite a good few wins against bigger teams like Sutton across the season. We'd obviously beat them 5-0 live on TV earlier in the earlier in the year. I just thought it, it was it was sort of inconceivable to me that one way or another, no matter how hard we'd have to grind it out, that we wouldn't get promoted. And, and Sam, I, you know, echo what Sam says completely. As soon as you walk into that ground, and you see the players coming out of the tunnel, you all just you just sort of think, hang on, it's it's a game of football here. Anything could happen. But I gen- genuinely speaking, I think I was quite confident. Um, a lot was made in the build-up about Ashton Gate being the, the venue for the final. Um, obviously, only 6,500 fans allowed in. Um, could have been a bigger stadium. Uh, Hypeful fans slightly um, upset about the geography of the situation. Um, but... As we got there, what did you think of Ashton Gate as a as a venue? Did did you enjoy the sort of uh, travelling there? And did, did you the goosebumps walking up to the ground? Uh, how did you feel about that, Sam? Yeah, brilliant. It was. Um, I mean, it's funny. I've I've always been had a mixed feeling about Wembley. I think, you know, because when you go to Wembley, you see the arch and the just enormity of it. It it it's such an iconic stadium to go to, and you know the year we went up there with, with the Buckle team, that, that, that can't really be topped. It was really good. But there is that feeling of, it always feels a bit empty. You know, you, you look at previous finals of the last few years. I mean, there was one year, I think it was filed against, this might have been a, uh, the FA Trophy, but like filed against Stolford or Hartlepool or Harrogate. Or one of the, they've, we've had some Mickey Mouse teams in this final and, in Wembley, it just, it looks embarrassing. It looks like some kind of YouTube game. Whereas Ashton Gate, you know, now that it felt like there were more than 6,000 in there with, with the noise and obviously um, Hartlepool fans, I've probably got to say for COVID reasons, this was, it was disgusting what I saw of them, but it did look really good when they all kind of gathered up in the, at the top together to create an atmosphere it's yeah it sounded like it was full and if you think if if that was a normal season i think you'd sell it out or or there or thereabouts you know say next season it's us against Notts county or whatever it sells out and it it adds a bit of atmosphere rather than having a third full stadium at wembley so i i think i thought it was brilliant I thought ashton gate did a really good job of it um maybe apart from the sort of the 90s rave at half time wasn't too sure about that that didn't didn't help the nerves but yeah, I, before the game started, yeah, good day out. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I always think a, a stadium like Wembley is is worthy of the occasion, and I think it was it was um, being being at a twenty four thousand seater for a playoff final for me. It didn't it didn't sit too well. I don't know if I felt like it was a playoff final until the players come out of the come out of the tunnel. If you know what I mean, it felt a little bit like I was just. At a random, random sort of stadium watching a game of football. I don't think I don't think it had that feel of a final to it because of the location. That being said, I think Sam makes a good point in that, uh, a you know a, a fuller Ashton Gate makes more sense than you know a, a very empty Wembley. But I, I just don't think that the ground quite matched up to the enormity of the situation. Whether I'm, whether I'm saying that because we've lost, I don't know. Maybe if we'd won, it'd probably be the best thing since sliced bread, but I, I don't know. I just didn't feel like it maybe matched it as, as much as a bigger stadium could have done. And I think considering there was always going to be a limited crowd, it didn't really matter whether, whether it was at Ashton Gate 
somewhere bigger or somewhere smaller um, because the fans always just going to congregate in one place and and make some noise anyway. Um, it, it was it was a great day out. I don't know then getting away from that. There was some great noise made, but I probably would have liked to have seen it somewhere that matched the occasion a little bit more, I think. Nick? Yeah, I, I kind of get what Will's saying there. I think it's one of those that it was it was the number of people that were allowed in that, that made it feel a little bit underwhelming. Um, for me, I think if it's full, take the geography out of it because the geography is irrelevant. You know, we do as many miles as anybody else does over the course of a season. And, and the geography of, of Hartlepool travelling down or if it had been Wrexham or Notts County, it, it's, it's irrelevant. It was played at Bristol City because that was one of the only football stadium in the country at the moment that has the pitch that hasn't been ripped up because Bristol Bears played on it the day before. So the reason it was at Ashton Gate was nothing to do with, with conspiracy theories or anything like that. It was, it was because they have a pitch there. Um, everybody else has, has torn theirs up and is, is relaying it for the new season. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I think, you know, it's, it's a decent ground. We had a really good view. I was, I was in the front row of the upper tier um, and, and it, was, it was good. It was a, you know, it was a nice view. There were no, no restricted view seats or anything like that. Um, I think it was just the fact that there were only about six and a half, seven thousand people in there that made it feel a little bit like it wasn't a playoff final. Stick 27,000 people in Ashton Gate, and that is the perfect venue for every National League playoff final because it's a nice ground. The acoustics in there were brilliant. You know, list, I've, I've watched it back on the TV. The actual noise that was made by both sides sounds fantastic. Um, and, and as with most modern football teams now, we all sing the same songs to the same tune. So you can never really be sure who was making the noise and, and, except when it was, you know, us singing the Yellow Army. Um, but yeah, like I say, you know, chuck a full stadium in there and it's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I'd echo all that, to be honest. Um, for me personally, I've, I've been to every game at Plainmore uh, this season, which, which have uh, doors open to fans. And it's been great to be at football matches, but you do miss the away fans and having the, 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 the back and forth. And uh, even Notts County, where the atmosphere was amazing, it, you just feel if there'd been 6,000 in there with 2,000 away fans from Nottingham, it would just been all the better for it. So... For me, it was nice to be at a stadium with, with two sets of fans. And it, it did feel like a, a big occasion of the season, simply because this season we've spent most of the matches sat at home with a cup of tea watching it on, 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 on the TV. So for me, it did feel like a, a playoff occasion. Um, but I, I echo all that. But I think really you wanted to be a full house to make it feel like the proper occasion that it was. Um, so we went into the game with an unchanged 11 from the game um, against Notts County. Um, was that the only option that Gary Johnson had, do you reckon? Uh, Will, we'll start with you. I mean, I, I, I think I'll find it hard to say anything against Gary Johnson after the absolute love letter I wrote him earlier <laughs> this week, in fairness. Um, yes, I know. I, th I think it's always going to... I mean, I thought everyone was a bit bewildered in the Notts County game by the inclusion of Kyle Cameron at left, uh, playing sort of as a left, an inverted left winger. But... Um, he played well enough that I didn't. I don't know if you can change it. I don't know if it worked as well on on Sunday. If I'm being completely honest, I don't think it really had the same effect it did. And I think Hartlepool maybe anticipated it, which maybe didn't play as much of a role as it could have done. But I, I, I don't. I don't think you could have changed it. I think we were so good. It was so electric against Notts County that it would it would have been it would have been really really hard for him to to draw a line in the sand and make a change for it. The only thing I would say maybe is is start a more conventional left winger and put 
so you know to put balls in for players like Danny Wright and um and a couple of the changes I found a bit you know I wasn't 100% sure about but at the same time this guy is as as I as I said earlier this week you know the messiah so um I have absolutely no criticism of him it's just personal opinion but I guess um, it, there wasn't really too much scope to change it after what had happened that just, just a week before. I, I think, you know, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. And um, he didn't need to. It just didn't sort of come off on the day. Sam? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the thing is, I've always said you can't change a winning team. And, uh, you know, Carl Cameron did a very good job at left wing against against uh, Notts. But the only thing that kind of I had in the back of my mind is that does it take away the element of surprise that, you know, kind of done it. But having said that, he did play well on Sunday, Carl Cameron. You know, all right, he didn't quite link up attacking leagues. He's not played that role and he's not got that understanding with some of the other attackers. But yeah, you can't change a winning team. Um, and and to be honest, like Will says, you can't really question what, what Gary Johnson does. You know, there's a reason that he's still got about 3,000 promotions and I'm... You know, I've I've been sacked on Football Manager at numerous times. So, <laughs> Nick. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Kyle Cameron essentially scored twice on Sunday, didn't he? So you can't say that he did. <laughs> he made the wrong call because you know after seven minutes we we were one nil up, and I will come on to the rest of that. But no, I'd have I'd have picked the same team. The only change he could potentially have looked at was was Andrews to come in on the left. Um, I know there were a couple of people who were talking about Little sort of dropping out maybe, but to me, it was always a game that was going to be made for Armani Little because it was a bigger pitch. It was a bigger occasion, the sort of thing you expect him to thrive on. Um, but no, I, I can't say that he made a bad call, that I wouldn't have made the same decisions. And, you know, like I say, I was borne out by the fact that, you know, Kyle Cameron did score twice. It was, it was a, a pretty good call, I think. Well, as Nick has alluded to there, we started brightest and we did have the ball in the back of the net uh, via Carl Cameron, but it was ruled out. Um, Will, what was your view of the goal? And having seen it back uh, probably numerous times, what do you think of it, um, a decision to disallow it uh, in hindsight? I mean, I, th- I thought it was a goal at the time, as we all did. So you could probably tell by the celebrations and the, the delay in the referee blowing the whistle and and um and the linesman I think allegedly putting his flag up. I'm not I haven't watched it back. I can't bear to watch it back. But um it was it, it looked to me I've I've seen like the clip of it, but it looked to me perfectly good. There's no, there's no offside there. If it has been given for offside, which it seems it has, I have no idea why. Because if a linesman at this level, even at this level, is calling that offside, they need to be sacked immediately and never officiate a game at any level ever again. He is literally two yards onside. Um, they're, they're, I saw talk that it was a push on the back maybe by Joe Lewis and even then I mean like the, the thing is you see goals like that every single week go in and count for me there was absolutely nothing wrong with it at all um, I, I think the referees referees at this level and, and any level really they like to play up to a big occasion I think the ref maybe felt there was something slightly wrong with it and wanted to, to stick his neck on the line early doors and, and think he was making a great decision when in reality it was just wrong um, we've obviously seen him be promoted, which I'm sure we'll talk about in, in, its, in, in its ridiculousness eventually. But for me, there was absolutely nothing wrong with that goal. If anything, by the way, the keeper has fouled Kyle Cameron. 
not that you would give a penalty for it, but the keeper is absolutely clattered into Carl Cameron as he's got he's got his head to the ball. So I, I was I, I thought it was a goal at the time. I've seen a clip of the goal back, and I think it's I think it should stand. So I'm, I'm bewildered to why it wasn't, but um, that's the nature of the beast, I guess. Uh, Nick French has watched the game back about five million times, and he's about to tell us his thoughts on it because I know he's got something to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, let's let's not beat around the bush. I'll, I'll call him it now. Simon Mathers a cunt. He, you know, there was absolutely no no justifiable reason for for disallowing that goal. Uh, you know, I, I just it was a goal at the time. It was a goal when I watched it back, and it's a goal now. Um, if you give a foul for the push, hands up into the back of the defender by Joe Lewis you give 150 decisions a game there was one last night when Harry Maguire got a push in the back from the the Czech defender nothing got given because it wasn't a foul you know there there was absolutely nothing there um I I I I think it was given for a foul the the guys who were doing the half-time stuff with with uh, Greaves he said it was a goal um the others there was one one bloke there from Hartlepool who, who sort of said yes I agree it was a a push which and, and Hargreave balanced that out which you kind of expect but there was there was nothing wrong with that whatsoever you know there is absolutely no justifiable reason that you can turn around and say that that was rightly chalked off. Uh how long were you celebrating for until you realised it had been chalked off? Until they started playing again I, I just I remember looking up and uh scoreboard said 1-0 and, and Hartlepool kind of had the ball I thought hang on what's going on here? I, I couldn't possibly repeat some of the things I was shouting. And I'm a little bit, I do feel very sorry for the uh, young parent and son stood next to me for anything I said in the 120 minutes. And I'd like to apologise to that young boy as well for the fairly intimate moment he, me and his father shared at late, later on in the game. Um, but no, it's, 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 it's Simon Mather, the referee. Um, look, lots of people were bullied at school. Lots of people are single. Lots of people are miserable. Don't take it out of the whole fan base. Pervert. I just thought it's disgusting the level of officiating we get in this league. But to call off, I mean, I haven't watched it back. I can't, I, I, and I won't. Um, but everyone else has said it should have counted. I had, I had so many messages coming through at half time when I checked my phone saying, "What on earth has happened? That should not have been disallowed." And I've just said, "Don't." <laughs> I, I really don't want to hear it, but yeah, I, I but no, it's all serious with Simon. I'm, I'm delighted you got promoted to the um, football league, and uh, yeah, I, I really hope that you fuck up in front of big fan bases next season and get get, get what's coming to you. Um, I've, <laughs> I've seen a lot of um, hyperbole um, written since about how he's corrupt, and I think it's very important that we all come out and take a stance that he's not corrupt. No referees are corrupt. You know, he, he didn't set out to ruin Torquay's day or anything like that. He is just inept. He's incompetent. He's a buffoon. He's he's a wanker, but he's not corrupt and referees are not corrupt. That said, um, I made a complete dickhead out of myself because I was celebrating a good 10 seconds after he chalked it off. Still trying to get people up and, and they're like, what are you doing? We're playing on. And saying when I realised that them and Evans was closing down the goalkeeper and, and, and chasing it down, I realised it had been chalked off and I literally had no idea why. And they showed the replays on the big screen. I still couldn't see why. And I have to agree, if it's for that push push on uh, by Joe Lewis, then that's an absolute nonsense. And he'd be stopped starting the game every 20 seconds because it, that happens a million times. And not one Hartlepool player appealed for it either. They didn't appeal for the foul. No Hartlepool player, uh, you know, 
fought to get in the referee's face. The referee, referees took it upon himself to, uh, you know, get, give the foul. And yeah, I haven't watched it back either, but it still hurts. I just got one request. Can we stop calling it a foul? Yes. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a fucking foul. It just it wasn't a foul. You know, what, shall we, what shall we call it? The, the fuck, incident? A fuck up. <laughs> yeah, fuck up. Yeah. It just, you know, oh, I, I'll never get over that. That's going to be the, the Paul Rayner getting Darren Moore sent off in 94. It will be, be the decision that you, that you, the thing that you just remember. Unfortunately, it's not the only one. Uh, well, that did seem to galvanise Hartlepool somewhat, and they came back into the game strongly and forced Kovlan into a couple of decent saves before they finally uh, opened the scoring midway through the first half. And then, really, they dominated uh, the rest of the first half, and I thought we were quite fortunate to get in at half-time, just 1-0 down. Uh, what do you reckon, Sam? Yeah, no, I think that, that disallowed goal really kind of took the stuff out of Torquay. I mean, Hartlepool came back quite strong after that, they scored a good goal. Is it Luke Armstrong, who's been good all season? He was obviously one of the danger men to, to look out for. It was a good finish. And um, I was just kind of, I, I thought, get to half time at 1 0. Just, just uh, honestly, just sit on it because they weren't creating anything. And uh, and Hartlepool looked good for, for a lot of that first half after that. So, yeah, getting get to half time at 1 0 was important because if, if Hartlepool would have got another one, I think that would have been at the time game over. Will? Yeah, bang on. I think I think that's pretty much it. Exactly. They they were the better team for, for a lot of the first half, purely because, like Sam says, everything was just taken out of us. It does take it out of you. And when, when stuff like that's happening to you after seven or eight minutes or whatever it was, there, there's an element, and I genuinely believe this, that psycholo- psychologically you're just thinking, is this our day? Is this meant to be? You know, when, when you're having perfectly good goals, chalked off after that amount of time and you know it's perfectly good and all the players knew it was you could see by the protest everyone knew it should have stood even without seeing it back um that it were what are you meant to do and they were all you know and you, you sort of wondered the Hartley did Hartlepool then get that mentality that you know maybe it is our day things are going in our favour that perhaps shouldn't you mentioned none of them appealed for it clearly none of them thought it was a pet they thought it was a was a foul on on or the incident I should call it sorry whatever we're calling it um honestly though I, I couldn't I, I couldn't agree with what Sam said more honestly they I was very glad we got in at one nil because they really had the bit between their teeth I thought it fell slightly fortunately for them for their goal if I'm being completely honest it sort of fell to him in the box he was a clever turn and and you know even then he nearly missed it but even so you know it was it was probably on the balance of play fairly deserved over the first 45 minutes that being said you know, obviously it should it should have been one 0 after seven, so it's it's hard to say, isn't it? It's hard to say. Nick. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, echoing what the other two said, it's it's very much a case of, you know, Hartlepool did dictate the play from the you know, the eighth minute through to the forty-fifth. Um we just seem slightly off the pace. Danny Wright seems slightly off the pace. Um <laughs> that I, I wasn't quite sure what our tactics were because Danny seemed to be playing in the ten. And then Lemon Hay Evans was was playing further up. I don't know whether that was to try and close things down more, but it, it seemed to it seemed to elongate our our team. And the two forward players just felt like they were a little bit um, you know exposed. They were that they didn't have that same link up play that we've had in other games. Um, and it was quite noticeable that that Connor was playing in a slightly more advanced role. Um, probably as as obvious as it was that Danny had bleached his hair the night before the game. Um, 
but yeah, they, you know, they did, they controlled the game. They played very well. Um, you know, Oates, Reese Oates had a, had a really good half um, and they were, they were in control of the midfield. And I was the same. I was, you know, we have to get through to half time at one nil and, and thanks to Kovland's, you know, the last touch of the half, cause that should have been, that should have been two nil. That, that was a free header coming in from a, I think it was a corner. Um, and, and they should have scored. It was it was just unbelievable that that he managed to sort of pull that one out at, at point blank range. Um, but I I'd said on the way up there are there are little things that you notice at the beginning of games that make you think it's not quite your day. Um, you know you you see a, a player go off with a, a a muscle pull in the first sort of quarter of an hour or so, or you've seen that in playoff finals and, and cup finals so many times, um, and that goal that got disallowed was probably the first sign that it just wasn't going to be our day. So at half time, put your uh, manager's uh, hat on, if you will. Nick, did you, uh, were you calling for changes? Or did, what did you think Johnson was going to do to, to, to switch it up? No, I didn't think we needed to make any, any changes. I think what we needed to do was, was get back to the, the way that we'd been playing previously you know, that Notts County game where, where Connor was the, the link between the midfield and the forward line. Um, you know, Danny Wright's best when he's in the box. Danny Wright's at his best when he's around the six-yard box. We weren't getting forward enough and putting crosses into the box to make it difficult. We, we were very hesitant. And I think that, that would have been the case. My, I, was, I would have been screaming at half time, just make a decision and, and go through with it. Joe Lewis had, had, was probably our best player on the day. And... He was decisive. He he saw something and he went and challenged it. He was he was he was strong in his challenges. He was he was strong in his headers, and that was that would have been my halftime message: was just be get closer to their players, close them down. We're we're best when we press from the front, and I would have just said to Danny Wright, get on the last man because he scored a goal up at their place where he was in the middle of the two centre halves, and the ball got threaded straight through the middle, and and we scored. So it would have just been a case of saying, be more decisive and try not to be quite so far away from each other. Sam, thoughts at halftime? Yeah, I, I, I expected, um, to be honest, I expected him to pull Carl Cameron off and put Jake Andrews on at halftime just to kind of add a bit more kind of natural width because it wasn't working, I'll be honest. You know, arguably our best or one of the best players this season, Adam Randall he just wasn't, he wasn't in the game. You know, I don't know if it's because it was all kind of, everything seemed to be going on the top. I think if you're going to play someone like Cameron on the left, things will go over the top. And he, you know, you've got, that's the thing I found in the first half. You've got player, you've got three players on the pitch in particular who, so you've got Randall, Evans and Little on the floor, three of the best players at this level. And it was all going up in the air. And I just, I didn't quite understand it. So I did expect there to be a change, but, to be honest, I just thought I could imagine the team talk at half time would have been something along the lines of, look, whatever happens after this, it doesn't matter. This is the last grilling I'm going to give you all season. Go out there and just put some fucking effort into it. Because it just felt like, you know, always stop feeling sorry for yourselves and go again. You're talking United. You, you keep coming back this season. You keep coming back from disappointment. You keep proving everyone wrong. Go out and do that again. This isn't good enough. And, that, that's all I kind of thought they'd do, really. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, I personally thought the way the second half ended, I thought it was crying out for a change. I really did. And again, I'm pleased I think I'm criticising Gary Johnson because I'm really not. I definitely couldn't, as I mentioned. I mean, I I, I just thought it was crying out. I, we really, really looked half the team that we have this season in the last, especially the last sort of 10, 15 minutes of that, that first half, I thought. Uh, we, we were just lacking in every department. Sam's absolutely bang on the money. We've got three of the best players on the on the ground in the league on their day. Um you know, in the, in the way they pass the ball. I mean, especially with Randall, he's just excellent. And I, I like I said, I said it in, in the letter, if anyone's read it, I think Conor Lemon Evans is arguably the best player to ever pull on the United shirt. He's that good, especially with his quick feet and everything. And I just sort of think you bypass that. And it was just for the sake of playing Carl Cameron on the left-hand side again. And I, I don't necessarily think you should have taken Cameron off. I think there's other things, other ways you could have done it, but there needed to be more natural width. We were just lacking in that department. And it, it, it was it was clear to see, but I mean, you know, I, th- I thought we did pick things up. I, it, it didn't need a change, but I, I felt we could have done with one. And I, I don't know how much that would have changed things. Obviously, hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? But yeah, I, 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 was, I was calling for a change at half-time. Whether it needed one or not, I don't know. Well, Drew have called for a change in mentality and I think we certainly saw that in the second half. I really think that you just saw the player just gave absolutely everything uh, in search for the equaliser. I, I don't think, looking back now, that those 11 guys on the pitch could have given any more to, to find that equaliser. And I'll say that for the entire season, is that in a season where we've been playing in mostly empty stadiums, these boys, you know, been playing without a crowd. So they've spurred themselves on to get all these last minute goals and, and all, all these equalizers and, and, and turn these losing deficits and in, in, into wins. And I think that's just, it, it just shows sums up the spirit in, in the group. And I was so proud of that second half just to watch us really take the game to Hartlepool. And, um, you know, just despite all the setbacks we were getting, and we'll come on to that one now, um, we have a Bournemouth again. And I think Sam would have been the one most in line with, uh, with that, a second disallowed goal. So perhaps Sam can start us off from that incident. Yeah. Um, I just quickly go back and make one point. Sorry. You, you mentioned, I was, I was going to say the second half, you said about kind of, it was all us. I remember the Dagenham game that we went to earlier in the season that we lost and it felt like we could have been playing t- still to this day and we wouldn't have scored. It didn't feel like that. You did feel that we were creating some genuine chances and they were giving it everything because they did come out all guns blazing it was all talking in you know certainly for most of the second half um in regards to the second cameron incident it i mean i was sat dead on nine with six yard box it was you you could almost see what was going to happen in slow motion because ben winter put a really good ball in like just a perfect floating cross cameron hung up in the air for what felt like an hour and i still can't really again i haven't watched it back um but I don't really see what he's done wrong. He's just jumped higher than the defender and the defender's gone down under his jump. It it, it, it just felt like, it, it felt like someone was out to get us yet on Sunday because that one, I still can't, like I said, I still can't think of anything wrong with it. But when that doesn't go in, you start to question it, you know, it, you know, something's got to give and it just didn't feel like it was. It, you need a stroke of luck sometimes. And I feel like Hartlepool got, that was their stroke of luck because the first one was bad enough, but the second one to get back into it, because that was on what, 60 minutes or something, you know, still, and the way we were playing, if we'd have scored that, we would have gone on to win that without a doubt. We, it was all us. Uh, and I just think, yeah, 
I think that that was their final nail for me at the time. If that makes I sense. was I was directly in line with the eighteen yard box, so I had a good view of it. And everyone around me went up to celebrate the goal, but I just stayed I just stayed sat. And it's not because I didn't think it was wasn't a goal. I just had this feeling the referee was going to disallow it on the basis that he disallowed the first one. I, I can't explain it, but I just didn't get excited about the moment at all. And I, I don't know why, because it looked a perfectly good goal at the time, but I think goalkeepers get so much protection these days that you can sort of see that if a goalkeeper comes out and makes a meal of it and just dives over the place like a fanny, he's going to get the, 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 the three kick awarded to him. And I, and I get the feeling that's what he did then. He, he came out, got nowhere near it, dived theatrically on the floor and the referee just, just bought it. Um, Nick, I'm, I'm sure you've got a view on Mr. Mather's uh, second uh, fuck up of the, uh, of the day. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to call him it again, but he, he did certainly prove himself. Um, yeah, I obviously we were at the far end of the ground, so we were at the end where the penalties ended up getting taken from. Um, so we had a, a relatively decent view of, of it because uh, I don't know. Cameron jumped early, and he got up so early that when the goalkeeper jumps, he he jumps into Cameron's arm or under Cameron's arm, so he comes up and cannot get where he wants to go because Cameron's already there. There's, there's no putting his arm on him to get up. He's already up in the air. He was hanging up for, I mean, as long as, was it John Stones, wasn't it, against, uh, for England against Scotland? He was hanging up in the air for ages. And the goalkeeper jumps under his armpit and can't get to the ball. Um, it's, it's inexplicable, really, that he's seen an offence there. I, I can't quite figure out whether I think the first one was, was worse than the second one or the second one was worse than the first one. I, I just, I don't know. But commenting on our performance from, from the 46th minute onwards, we were magnificent. We were absolutely brilliant. There, there was just, it was wave after wave of attack. And despite certain players not, maybe not necessarily getting in the game as much as they would have liked, we were, we were dominant. We were absolutely, you know, if, if that had stood, we were absolutely the team that was going to go on and win it. Um, and it's only because it took that that last minute equaliser that it kept them in the game. But yeah, I I I've got nothing but praise for whatever Gary said at half time, and for the players taking it on board. And quite literally, you know, the message of of leave it all on the pitch is exactly what they did. Well, yeah, I mean, it is one of those things, isn't it? I mean, it's it's just as much, if not more, well, it's definitely not more of a goal than the first one, but it's just as much of a goal. Um, it, as soon as you saw the keeper go up, go up, you knew. I'm I'm very much in the same in the same boat as you that it was just one of those situations where I was reluctant to celebrate because it it was that the ref was being like that. You just knew. For me, you just knew he was never going to give it. Well, what I find hilarious is if a defender had jumped like that with Carl Cameron. And the keeper hadn't got a hand to it and it would have gone in. There is literally no debate whatsoever whether it's a goal or not because he just jumped higher than him. There was no climbing. I don't even think Cameron made contact with him until he headed the ball. It, it was really was unbelievable. And I mean, I, I spoke about it just, just a minute ago. It's one of those situations when you know it's not your day, you just know it's not your day. And it, it really was one of those situations where you just think it's not going to happen for us. Like, I mean, echoing what Nick said as well, it was... One of those situations where, you know, from from the 46th minute, we were absolutely outrageously good. That was the talk United that deserved to go up as champions. Probably, probably shouldn't have even been in the playoff final because we should have romped home by 
by March. It was it was that simple. But it it, it wasn't to be. And I, I think you know I, I spoke a lot about my mentality earlier in the episode, and I, th- I think that played a part. I mean, I think that that there there was there was a head drop where where they got the you know Cole Cameron and the boys are probably thinking, come on, it's just. It just wasn't wasn't to be, and it just abundantly started feeling like that more and more as the game went on. But we were brilliant from the forty six minute. We were the better team. They hit us on the break a couple of times, but it was the talkie of um, that, that made us proud this season that turned up in that second half for sure. And it was it was a stellar example of it. And you know, and, and Sam's absolutely right. If that goal stands, we are we go on to win it without a question. I genuinely believe that. I know that's always hard to say because you don't know what's going to happen, but 100%, if, if that goal stands as it should. I mean, I thought it was a foul on the keeper at the time. It wasn't until I saw the goal back. Like I said, I can't watch the whole game back, but I've watched the disallowed goals back um, that, that you sort of realised that it, it was nowhere near. So, yeah, it, it just it just wasn't to be, was it? It was just one of those days. And as soon as he, you, you knew because he disallowed the first one, he was going to disallow that one, however wrongly. And it, it quickly became quite apparent throughout the game. I thought that it wasn't the, the league, it wasn't the, the National League playoff final. It was the Simon Mothers show. It really was as simple as that. He was, he from the, from the minute he blew the first whistle, he was determined to make that game about him. And I'm not, I totally agree with you. He's not corrupt. He's not, but he 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 was 100% determined to make that game about himself. And that's exactly what he did. Um, and Nick put it best. He's a complete cunt. Yeah, and you, you say you're two disallowed goals out of it. You know, it's the little things that gradually build up in your mind. How Hartlepool was stealing 10 yards with every throw in and he was allowing it. Shirt pulling going on all afternoon. Shirt pulling probably more grievously than, than the two goals which he disallowed, you know. I think at one stage, Cameron pretty much had to give his shirt to the, the Hartlepool guy because the guy was asking for it so much. Um, there was a tackle on Moxie, which was uh, GBH. That went completely uh, uh, un, uh, uncautioned. And it's just little, little things like that. Um, allowing the goalkeeper to take half an hour for every goal kick, that always winds me up. Some referees give it a token yellow card in the 98th minute and think that's his job done when really look the goalkeeper in the 50th minute, he doesn't do it again. It's just little things like that, which as you say, contribute to the Simon Mavis show. Uh, there was a penalty shout on Connor Lemonhay-Evans, which, again, I completely ignored because I just assumed he wouldn't give it. But uh, watching it back, there was contact. Do we have a view on that, Sam? I don't particularly remember it, to be honest. I think, I, same as you, I think anything after the goals, I just thought I'm not really expecting it to get anything to go our way. I mean, towards the end, I think Joe Lewis got brought down on the left-hand side and there was a free kick and there was that kind of sarcastic cheer for the ref um but yeah to be honest I don't remember that particular incident with Evans and like I said I'm not watching the game back so no, no comment really Nick has watched the game back what's the uh, consensus on Lemony Evans uh, county appeal depends on the angle you watch it from it depends on your on your allegiance really I think if it had been given at the other end if he'd given a penalty for Hartlepool I'd have been absolutely apoplectic. So I, I've watched it a couple of times back. I, I'm not sure. I don't think it was a penalty. There is a little bit of contact, but the ball's gone. Lemonhay Evans is probably going down before the contact comes in. Um, he is looking for it a little bit. There is contact. You could argue it both ways, depending on how you see it. But I've always tried to be a little bit objective when when something like that happens. And I'd have, yeah, I'd have been fuming if that had been given at the other end. Will? 
You see them given, don't you? I mean, you see them given every week, and I think I think that's the thing. But <laughs> everything's been said, hasn't it? It was this. It was the Simon Mathers show. It, of course, it wasn't going to be given. It he made it. You know, I don't. You know, I don't know what uh, what was going through his head for, for the rest of it. I did actually think it was a dive at the time. I, I've seen it back even from the angle that I think sort of flatters Lemon Hammonds and maybe dives harsh on him. I think the dive maybe is the wrong word. He was looking for it. And he knew he was looking for it. You look at, he's not really going anywhere. I don't, I don't know if he's even going to get to the ball. It's quite a heavy touch. But he's got a lot of penalties that way this season. And again, I'm not, not saying he's diving. I'm not condoning diving. I don't think that's what he does. But we've won a lot of penalties that way this season by a tap forward in the box, wait for the contact and go down. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think there's a there's a balance between being clever and, and, and doing the wrong thing. But yeah, I, I didn't think it was a penalty at the time. I think I've seen, I've seen the angle of it because there is one angle of it where it really looks like a penalty. I think it's straight on where it looks like he sort of steps across him. But I, I have to agree with Nick. I think he's I think he's going down before before the contact's fully made. But I mean, it, it, even I mean to be totally fair, the bloke could have two footed Evans in the chest and he wouldn't have given the penalty. So I I don't know what I don't know what we what you could possibly say about it. It was, you know, I know we spoke about it, it was the most shambolic referee and performance I've ever seen. So you don't you don't know what to expect from him. You really don't. But um, it wasn't a penalty for me. And even if it had have been, he wouldn't have given it. So you know. I wonder whether or not if he if he's seen the video from the Notts County game and thought that wasn't a penalty, he was looking for it and he went down. I wonder where I, I don't know whether he watched watched that game. He might well have done just to become familiar with the players. But I think if maybe if we don't get the penalty against Notts County, we get the penalty on Sunday. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. I'm not sure. Like you say, it was it was his his show, it was his you know, he was he was the centre of attention for the whole thing. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it could have been that he was influenced by the previous week. I I actually heard a quite strong rumour, and I, I think it's got substance, that um, Simon Man has actually got naked pictures of Dave Challoner's mum on his phone. I heard that. Yeah, I... Yeah. I did hear that, to be fair, yeah. That's, that's fair. I also heard that Simon Mathis is a cunt. Well, you, you two of you really said it. So Come I on in, Sam. That's, I don't think that's a rumour. That's more of a common fact, isn't it? You just need so Sam to so, well. Yeah, Simon Mathers a cunt. His dad's a cunt. His mum's a cunt. And I bet his kids are going to grow up to be cunts as well. And I, I hope they honestly get bullied at school. Uh, if this makes it past the edit, then that's, uh, that's Gold Star uh, podcast-worthy uh, award-winning stuff right there. And we can all ap- apologise to the kid that was sat next to Sam. Yeah. That's, that's a that's a flavour of type of type of afternoon he had. So when he got I back, think... his his parent, his mum probably said, "Oh, how was the football, love?" Probably went, "Oh yeah, got some new words to describe <laughs> you." He hasn't. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure, he knows to leave it at football. I hope. Uh, so we chuck waters on, chuck Andrews on, chuck Kimpioko on in search for equaliser. We reach Gary time, and Danny Wright nods it down, and Billy Waters scoops it over the bar. And that looks to be the Gary time chance that's disappeared. And did you think that was it, Nick? Yes. Yeah, that was it was it was done, wasn't it? That was that was the chance from from the angle I saw it at. And I still think possibly once I when I saw the replay, I, I I'm almost certain that Billy Waters has diverted the ball away from goal. It it looks as if it's going oh, in. Don't from, say that. From the angle. Don't say that. <laughs> From the angle that, that I was at, like I say, far end of the pitch, a long way away, it just it just looked as if Danny Wright's header was going in and Billy Waters has, has sort of 
in a Solskjaer against Bayern Munich kind of way, stuck his foot out. But unfortunately, it's come off the wrong side of the 50 pence and, and it's flown over the bar. Will? I mean, it's, it's one of those... I didn't think it was over. I didn't think it was over because I don't think you can ever think it's over with this team. I really don't. I don't think you can ever presume that this team is beaten because we all did when we didn't get a penalty against Oldershot when the referee overturned it. We all thought that's it. And lo and behold... Scott Bowden nods it in, in 90 plus 300 or whatever it is. So, I mean, it, you can never think it's over. Um, that that being said, it really did make me think it wasn't our day. I just thought, if that's not going in, then we're done. Like, we're done. But there was always something at the back of my mind that thought, until this... I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like a prophet here or anything like that. I, I, you know, in, in the same way as everyone else, I probably thought at the time. But, I mean, honestly, I, I, there's always part of me with this team. You know, 35 points, I think we've won after the 80th minute. That makes you think there's always, there's always, until the referee puts the whistle to his lips, which it wouldn't have surprised me if he'd done five minutes early, actually. Um, it, it wasn't ever going to be over. Um, I, don't, I don't think anyone could have quite imagined what was going to happen next, but it was, I, no, for me, it was never going to, it was never over until the referee blew his, blew his whistle because you just, you can never write this team off. You really, really can't. Sam, are you ready to go home? Uh, no, I, I'm actually on the same side as well. As much as when it went over, I just thought, I, was, I mean, I stood there, hands behind my head, thinking, oh, is that it? But then, like you say, until the final whistle goes, you just don't, this team don't know when they're beaten, you know? And it's it's that kind of, I, I genuinely believe that when you get to kind of 85 minutes playing against this Torquay team, teams must think, everyone back, because they're going to they're gonna go for us now. This is what they do. This is what they're built on. So I didn't think it was over, but you again, like Will says, you start to question it. You start to think, is this going to be our day? But no, until, until the referee's bone up, no, it's never over. Right. So, Sam, talk us through, frame by frame, moment by moment, the 20 seconds where Kovalan scores and your reaction to Kovalan scoring. Go. I mean, what... I think everyone said it, but this season alone... But especially, I mean, in 17 seasons, I think it is now, of Sport and Talkie, I've seen some pretty mental stuff. This season, like Will alluded to, the Bowden equaliser, you, you think you've seen it all. But, you know, even like Ben Winter at Woking, you wonder if any, any kind of individual moment can top that. Kovalan comes up, which he's been trying to do all season, bless him. And I thought, God, give him a, give him a go. Why not? You know, we've, you might as well lose 2-0. At least that feel a little bit more convincing. Ball goes out to Armani Little, who had his best game all season. Um, puts in one of the best balls into the box that he's put in all season. Kovalan jumps. And the next thing I know, it's in the net. I wasn't fully convinced it was him, but the noises I was making, I, I, I couldn't tell you exactly what happened. I think, again, I shared quite an intimate moment with the bloke next to me. Um I was, I was screaming. I wasn't shouting. I was genuinely screaming and shouting something on the lines of, it's the fucking keeper. It's the fucking keeper. Um, it was great to have that, share that moment with my dad, who I've always gone to football with. Um, and I just, I, I, I had tears in my eyes. I wasn't crying. I was fighting it back, but I had tears in my eyes because I just thought, you can't write those kind of moments in football. You know, it's, it seems like such such a daft idea that the goalkeeper 
in such a big game. You know, this isn't just a game mid-season. This is the playoff final in the 95th minute of six added minutes has scored the equaliser. And you, you almost take stock once the initial, after the kind of initial reaction, you almost take stock and think, it doesn't matter now. It doesn't matter. Because even if we'd have won that game, spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know the final score, <laughs> but even if we'd have won that game, I genuinely don't think any moment on Sunday would have topped that because it was so unexpected. And Kovalan is not the best keeper that I've seen at Torquay by a long shot. He's been a good keeper and he's been good since he's come back. We can do better. But that moment will go down in Torquay United history He's a cult hero and, he, he, yeah, he's, he's arguably given me the best individual moment as a Torquay fan. Will's turn, your, your 30 seconds. I mean, I mean, it was it was typical Torquay, wasn't it? Because it was a corner that we properly cheated ourselves up for that didn't get past the first man, which all led, which it all led to. And, and to be fair, we spoke about thinking it was over. I did think that was it then. I thought we can't even beat the first man from the, the last corner of the game. It's never going to happen. And I was stood next to my friend who um, who hadn't been drinking before the game. And I think that probably helped his vision in seeing everything that was going to happen. And obviously it was such a high floated cross and, and all he shout, all, it was almost silent. And all I heard was him shout, go, was fucking go on, Cov. And I thought, nah, nah, no way. Until I've seen him, until I've seen him meet it. And it was just, as soon as it left his head, everyone was celebrating because everyone knew as soon as he got his head on that, there was no way it wasn't crossing the line. It was meant to be. Um, I, I'm unfortunately not as much of a man as Sandra, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say. <laughs> I, I am. Uh, I, I burst into tears like a child. I just absolutely burst into tears. It was the, it was the outpouring of 90 minutes of absolute trauma from the shit show of refereeing and uh, and Hartlepool battering in the first half. It was the outpouring of an emotion from a whole season of not winning the title. It was everything that that had seemed like it was going against us that day, unfairly, completely unraveling. It was just it was the hands down the most emotional moment probably of, of not even being a football fan, maybe even of my whole life. It was genuinely that special. It was incredible and. You know, funnily enough, of the three goals that we scored that day, that one was most of a foul. Ace of Halls just jumped straight into the goalkeeper, funnily enough. But, you know, the the, uh, the referee seems to miss that one. But, it, it, I mean, again, it never was. But it was just hands down. You know, I, I had, I, it was one of those I didn't actually, I don't know how much I actually celebrated because my hands were just on my head and, and tears were just flowing down my cheeks. It was, it was like nothing I've ever seen before and nothing I'll ever see again. There are moments for Talk United that, that live on in history. Sills is one of them. Um, I think I think we've got enough to, to write a book about this season, actually, in fairness. But there are moments in Talk United history that will live on forever. That's certainly that's certainly part of it. And my, my, my sort of initial thought on Monday morning when I woke up was I wish he hadn't scored it because it, it got me it, it got me so happy and so up for it. And from that moment on, which I'm sure we'll get onto, it was inconceivable to me that we wouldn't go up. It was absolutely inconceivable to me that after that we would not get promoted. Um, so part of me wished he just left it and let someone collect it. But at the same time, like Sam said, it was individually the best moment I've ever had um, as a Talk United fan. And I wouldn't have changed it for the world, but it really is the hope that gets you with football, isn't it? Nick, your turn. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't I don't know if I can say much more than what these guys have said. Um, 
from a from an opposite end of the the ground again viewpoint um i was absolutely destroying jake andrews for probably the worst corner he's put in since he's played for us <laughs> you know just at that moment when you think you just want the ball to go into the six yard box and an anything could happen moment and it was he just he under hit it he it nowhere near beating the first man in fact there were about three Hartlepool players that could have cleared it before it would have got to a Torquay player um and then you just kind of you think it's it's done <clears throat> but he managed to grab the ball and because there were because of the the whole COVID thing with the balls there were obviously a load of them dotted around the pitch and as the ball went out he picked up one of the extra ones which didn't give the Hartlepool forward, I don't know if it was Armstrong or Oates at that point, didn't give him chance to close down uh, Armani Little. Now, Cov's obviously made his way back towards the, the middle of the pitch. And as he's seen that it's gone straight back to Little, he kind of, he thinks, oh, hang on a minute, a ball's going back in the box here. And it was the timing of the run, because if he'd stayed in the box, he'd have had absolutely no momentum whatsoever. If he'd gone any further back, he wouldn't have made it. And it was just the stars aligned. And it was it was better than Ben Winter against Woking because it was a bigger stage. It was a, a, a bigger moment. Um, and I mean, I, I saw him leap. And initially, my, my brother who was with me, he thought that there was a, a hand involved. He thought he'd sort of stuck his hand up a little bit and maybe not quite made contact with his head. And I said, no, no, I've seen that perfectly. And, and the celebration is a blur, is an absolute blur, because that 30 seconds after that goal goes in, I think I'm just roaring and shaking my arms. You know, I, I think that's how I celebrated. I think I was just fist pumping, roaring and shouting, yes. I, I, I'm not 100% sure. That's, that's the one bit of the game that is a bit of a blur to me because I, I couldn't tell you for hundred percent how I celebrated because in, in a season of mad events, and like you say, with, there are so many over the course of supporting Torquay, but we've had probably as many this season with all the late goals. And it was, it was just the ultimate sign that we were going to win. It was, it, that goal went in. And as much as we said, if Cameron's second goal had stood, there was it was inconceivable that going into extra time because Hartlepool had made all their changes to try and shore the game up so they'd made a load of defensive changes and we'd made a load of attacking changes and as was born within the first half of extra time particularly it was a bit of attack versus defense with a, the odd Hartlepool break um but there was no way we weren't winning that game from that point uh, for me personally, um, I was in line with Coverland's run. And from the moment Armani scooped the ball in, and it was a brilliant cross, actually, because it gave the keeper a decision to make, a decision which he royally fucked up, I might add. Um, he, he was dodging the entire game, I thought. Um, from the moment it left Armani's boot, you could see the way that Coverland was running. He was going to meet it full on if he could get his head to it. And if you watch his run you could analyze it on match of the day or whatever, and actually you know, do the same little graphic with the dotted lines and see his run. It is perfect. And it's a brilliant header as well. It doesn't get enough credit. It's a brilliant header. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I celebrated with my dad, obviously. I've been to, going to my dad for 25 years. We work together, we're, we're business partners in our own uh, self-employed business. And 
we spend all day moaning each other and getting each other's tits. But at the football, we're best mates. And it's that time that, you know, I've been South End, got promoted, seen us get relegated at Colchester, Seals' goal at Wembley, Winter's goal against Woking. We shared all those moments together and we just started hugging each other like, like two men possessed. And it's an out-of-body experience. And if you're not a football fan, you just don't understand what that does to the human body of a football fan. You can't explain why you do what you do and you, you don't know what you're doing as you're doing it. It's just the most primal sort of guttural roar you let out and as you say, just swing your arms in all sorts of circles and just hug a stranger, grab a stranger, shout in their face. It was pandemonium and on the journey back I actually watched uh, the gold on Twitter on the BT Sport app. I'd like to pay tribute to the commentator who I think called that goal perfectly. And if you were trying, if you were a fan zone commentator commentating it, you, you would be doing exactly what he did. You, you've just never seen anything like it. Um, on Twitter, there, there's guys who I know who've got no interest in talking about whatsoever. I talked to him because we both like cricket and he watched the game and said he's just absolutely buzzing for us in that moment, just how amazing it must have been. He's got no affiliation to National League football, no affiliation to Talk United, but in that moment, he was a Torquay fan. I think it's one of those moments which which really rocked the football world. It wasn't just a National League goal, that was a football goal. That was a moment for football fans. It wasn't VAR influenced. It wasn't, you know, multi-million pounds. It was just pure football. And that's something that really you only get to see once in your lifetime as a football fan. All those things happen at the same time. And yeah, I, I fought long and hard where I think it's better than Winter's goal. I think possibly the celebration of Winter because it's in a capacity crowd. But as a pure bit of theatre, it, it's Copland's goal. And I'm, I agree with all of you. From then on, there was nothing in my mind other than we are winning this next time. We are battering them. They are absolutely defeated. They are devastated. Their fans are in tears. Their manager's got his head in his hands. Their players are on their haunches. That's it. We're going to win this 3-1 and we're going up. And it's, uh, I just, yeah, uh, just uh, into extra time, it, it, it didn't pan out like that. No, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? We get to extra time and I think you summed that up brilliantly. Um, but you get to extra time and it was all, a, a lot of talk here. And I thought if we can get an early goal, Hartlepool are just going to capitulate because they, they had to drop. Their fans were silent, well, as you would be. What a sickening equaliser at the time. You know, I genuinely believe that they played for penalties for the rest of the, the game from there because they knew that, Every bit of momentum is with Torquay, of course, until Andrews goes down. He gets injured. He doesn't want to come off. I think someone said that the amount of times he said, fuck off to the bench, I'm not cut, you know, I don't want to come off, you know, which says a lot about his character. The fact that whatever's wrong with him, he doesn't want to stop playing. That's something you can't fault Andrews with. He, He is committed. But I think by the time they kind of got that substitution done, I just feel like we'd lost momentum. You'd lost a bit of... Bearing in mind at the time, we've, I think we were only playing with three recognised defenders and then pretty much all attackers. It was... I don't know what formation. It was like a kind of 2-8 <laughs> you know, or 2-1-9. But it... You know, Billy Waters playing as a wing-back almost. But it just felt like you lost that left-hand side. You lost a bit of the momentum because they'd been down for so long and... They're not just knackered after 90 minutes. They're emotionally and physically drained after one of the most stupid seasons we've ever had. And 
the closer it got to penalties, the more I just thought it does. I don't care what happens now. Almost they've done what I wanted them to. They've come out fighting for the second half. They've given it everything. It, it, it's going to finish as a draw. If it go, I was thinking if it goes to penalties, of course I'm going to be gutted if it doesn't go away. But you can't be angry at penalties because it's it is a lottery when you get to that point. Nick, extra time. Yeah, I mean it 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 did take the wind out of our sails, you know, Jake's injury, but it, it also messed us up from a, a, a tactical perspective because he was the only left-footed player on the pitch for us. You know, it, he was he was giving us that little bit of balance and all of our attacking was coming through Jake Andrews at that point. Every time you saw, every time that Ben Winter got the ball, he was knackered. He was he was spraying a forty yard ball across the pitch, and he was looking for Andrews. And Armani Little was either trying to play the ball through to to Evans, who had a little bit of energy left, or he was trying to square the ball out to to Jake because Jake was the one that was coming forward, you know, twenty yards, and then and then trying to either leather it or put a cross into the box. Um, so the injury itself is is possibly one of the reasons why we weren't able to push on and try and get the win. Because once Busey came on, it was a little bit sort of, you know, you felt that they thought they might have a little avenue to attack because we had a central midfielder playing left back. When Jake was there, he was a threat. So they had to, they had to do something about that. Um, and the closer it got to penalties, the less I fancied us, purely because it was such a monumental effort from half time that you could see... You could see our players were out on their feet, but they, they were conserving energy, Hartlepool, because they were only defending. They, they weren't chasing the ball around the pitch. They were just holding their shape. And they had the players on the pitch to take penalties. I was looking around our team thinking, well, Danny Wright will take one. Connor will probably take one. Armani Little will take one. First half of extra time, I'm thinking, well, Jake Andrews is going to take one because... He's the best set piece taker at the club. So that's four of your five. But after that, you're kind of thinking, right, so where do we go from here? I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't overly confident about the rest of our, our players. I, I, I don't criticise any of the players who scored or missed a penalty, whatever, to have the bollocks to step up after 120 minutes of football. Put yourself in that position... I think is is commendable for, for anybody to do that. Um, that said, there were two players on the pitch who I didn't fancy to take one. And on the way up, I'd said, Billy Waters is an instinct player. Don't give him any time on the ball. Just make him do something by instinct. And he's a brilliant footballer. Give him time on the ball. And he kind of isn't 100% sure what to do. He's the, he's the exact opposite to Jason Fowler. Don't give Jason Fowler any time on the ball and he can't do anything with it. Give him a lot of time on the ball and he's a magician. But, but Billy was almost the opposite to that and I sort of didn't fancy him particularly. And for no reason in particular, other than he hasn't had a huge amount of football and hasn't played an awful lot at that level, I didn't fancy Busey. But again, I, I would never criticise anybody for, for stepping up to take one because I think it takes an awful lot of guts. Uh, just your general thoughts on extra time, Will? Yeah, I mean, I, to, be, to be totally fair, it's one of those, I've through gritted, through gritted teeth. I'm very, uh, 
you know, I, I actually think the mentality and the resilience of the Hartlepool team is to be admired, to not completely fold and capitulate after conceding the goal that they did in the 96th minute, I, I think is commendable. And they, they had a game plan and they executed it well in, in extra time. I thought they were never going to go for it. The momentum, the wind was always in our sails. The momentum was always with us. And I, I think I think they they held their own well. I think they they defended fairly strongly. And I mean, how hard must it be to pick yourself up and dust yourself down after what they just experienced? You saw one of the subs crying on the bench, for God's sake, after Coblin had scored. I literally, I don't, I don't know even after everything happened after they've won it, if Dave Challoner's jaw has been picked back up because it, it I, I genuinely, it, it was, it was unbelievable. But you know, it, could we have scored? Yes, you know. But but again, it's one of those things we missed. We missed a couple of chances the next time, not clear cut or anything, but we missed a couple of chances. And the guy went, the guy next to me went, "Oh God, I can't believe it!" And I, I turned around and went, "Why? It's fine." We're going up. You don't you don't score that goal and not go up. It's fine, whether it be on penalties or or whatever. We're going up. It's fine. And and you're right. I think as soon as you got as soon as you got to that shootout, Cobb saved the first two. You're thinking it's our day, and it just wasn't to be, was it? And I don't know about anyone else, but as as Busey walked up, as much as I love him, my, my heart sank because he's not that level of footballer. I don't think as much as I love him, as much as he's always given. 110% for the club. There's no doubt in that. He's just, for me, not that level of National League footballer that, that the rest of the team are. And like, like Nick said, you've got to have some bollocks to step up and take a penalty after 120 minutes. And I do think with Busey, maybe it was a case of him just putting himself forward more than other people. But I, I personally, as he walked up, I just thought, oh, God, this, this could be it here. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, it, it's just one of those things. But, but I, it was inconceivable to me that Danny Wright would miss a penalty. He's been he's been brilliant in front of goal, and I think it was tired legs. I think it was a combination of things. But looking back on it, if it got to penalties, Hartlepool were always going to fancy themselves because that all our momentum had been sucked out of us by then. There was there was no momentum, and I, I, there was there was one moment in particular that I remember of extra time where I, I sort of started to question myself about it 100% being our day, and I think it was just after the second half of extra time where the Hartlepool fans picked themselves up and dusted themselves off and started singing probably louder than they had at any point in the game before that. And our fans sort of died down a bit because the momentum had just sort of slipped away and you just sort of got, it, it was almost like it was one all in the second half of normal time and nothing had really changed. And it, had we got that early goal in the, in the, in the first half of extra time, there's, we could have won four or five one in extra time. I genuinely believe that because we had all the momentum, but it was just, I feel like just going into that shootout, it was just sucked away from us, from us, and it just was, it just wasn't to be, was it? It just, you know, how, however cruel the footballing gods are, it just, it just wasn't to be, unfortunately. I, I completely agree. I was just going to say, with the penalties, Cobb saves the first two. Now, like I say, like, like you said, sorry, Buse might not have been on the list, but if he fancies it and he steps up, you do not say to someone, no, you just got to go with him because. I'd, I wouldn't want to do it at all. Um, but I think for me, water slipped, player slipped, whatever. I think when Danny Wright hit the bar, no, you know, I don't think it's a bad penalty. If you if you hit it, you know, an inch lower, you, you, you're saying it's the best penalty all season. But when he misses off the back of two saves, that's when you start to go, it's not happening, is it? It's just... It's just not going to happen at that point. That that was my mindset. 
Yeah, I I've got two mates watching at home. They're not talkie fans. They they know I'm talkie mad, so they were keeping an eye on what's happening and they watched it. And um, I said to them, I don't fancy penalties. I'm not keen on it at all. And I love a penalty shootout. When you're neutral, it's brilliant. Uh, I believe it's a fairest way to separate two teams. And you know, I've got no qualms with losing on penalties. It's whoever keeps their bottle. I'd echo what you say, but I don't have any uh, qualms with with any of the players who missed. I don't hold any grudges. Uh, you know. After the game, I was very quick to. I mean, poor Billy. He comes out on Twitter and he he said he's he's so sorry to the whole talkie for missing a penalty. He's like, we didn't mean to miss it, did you? It happens, you know. Yes, he said the keeper the wrong way. It would have been a good penalty if we'd gone in, and no one Dale tongued it. No, no one, no one, just they all did the right thing. They all tried to do the right thing. You know, they all tried to lever it and, and try 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 to score positively. So I've got no qualms with that. Um, you know, Busey. It hurts a lot because he's since been released. So, you know, it's really disappointing that the last kick of his Torgi career was a missed penalty. He didn't deserve that because he's a full 100% honest guy who's, who's always given his all. He's taken his chance from, from non-league local obscurity and he's never let us down, really. You know, if he got National League Player of the Month uh, last season uh, for October for his performances. So, you know, he, he gained a bit of fame through that and I think he'll do a good job I hope he gets a good a good move lined up after this but um, there are players who, who if you're going to miss it there's players you don't mind missing penalty and Danny Wright's one you know if he misses it alright well he scored 20 goals this season he, he, he's our talisman fair enough say Levy but you don't want Matt Buse to miss a penalty because to the guy that's just an absolute heartbreaker and there's no coming back from that for a guy like Matt Buse and, and I just feel sorry for him and Say I don't hold anything against him. I respect him massively for stepping up and, and, and giving it a go. And the gut punch, it's the immediacy of, of the miss where you just think, that's it. That's it, we're over. There's no there's no Gary time gold after this. That's it, we're over. It, it takes a couple of seconds to sink in and right, time to go home then. Let's uh, get look forward to Kings Lynn next season. You know, could it be next to and uh, Swindon, but it's Kings Lynn Barnet. And that is that, that, that's how it felt and it's just gutting and similarly you can't explain to non-football fans the euphoria of scoring a goal you can't explain to non-football fans the heartbreaking suffocating paralyzing agony of a moment split second moment like that I think no, I think the, the culmination of a season as as incredible as that coming down to Matthews taking a penalty it is almost as bad, if not worse, than the fact he missed it. Because, as you said, there's no, there's not one bad thought about Matt Buse in my head at all. He, he's always given one hundred and ten percent for the badge on the shirt. He, he play, he plays, he plays for, he plays for yellow. Honestly, he's genuinely, genuinely um, faultless. I've got nothing. I've got not got a bad word to say about him. But it's almost, it almost hurts more that a season as special as had we won the games that I think it was what the nineteen games that we got a result out of past the 80th minute normally had we won those 2-0 comfortably it, the season maybe doesn't feel as special as it would have done but I mean it, for, from from Stockport at home on the very opening day you look from game one to game 44 everything just seemed to go our way you know Acer Hall against Sutton I know we didn't win the league it's just things like that so many split second moments across the season that you think when it comes to the biggest one the final one the one that's going to define actually where we are next season as a whole. It, it, you think it can't be missed, and it does. 
it's even more shattering than it possibly could have been had it not been as dramatic as it was across the season. And it, th- there's not a nicer bloke it could have happened to. There's genuinely not. He, he, he genuinely, I genuinely believe he loves the club despite not having that much of a key role throughout. And I, I think that's the gut punch, isn't it? That it was, there was so much, it, it, it was just meant to be. It was written in the stars that we were going to go to Ashton Gate and get promoted. And it was written in the stars that it was going to be through a penalty shootout where Coveland saved too. But it just, the, the fact that 44 games of horrible last minute winners at the, all the, you think of all the anxiety we had across those 44 games to end like that from one kick of the ball is, is almost worse than losing altogether because it, it just absolutely shatters every, every hope and dream you ever had about football. It really does. Busey didn't deserve that. He really didn't. I feel I feel really, really sad for Busey because he's pretty much the only player who we haven't seen or heard from on, on social media. There's been there's been a fantastic Twitter loving going on with all the players, all the supporters. I haven't seen a negative comment from anybody, which has just been absolutely brilliant. You know, the, the support that the players have been offered since from from all the supporters, you often get one or two who will be a little bit negative towards it. I haven't seen any of it. It's been brilliant. But the one person we haven't haven't really heard from is is Matt Buse. And, you know, you, you swap the two penalty misses round that hit the crossbar. And actually, you know, Busey made the keeper made a, make a save and it was a good save. He's got a firm hand on that and pushed it onto the crossbar. Right, he's not hit the target. And if you, you know, if you put Buse second and right last, it, you know, Busey's miss doesn't quite have the same impact, which... You know, obviously, Danny's doesn't necessarily. I, I, the only thing I question over the penalty shootout, right, is Kovalan has made a fantastic save at the end of the first half. He scored a goal in the 96th minute. He's kept us in the game. He's saved two of the first two penalties. Why is he not stepping up? He, he must have been on cloud nine. He must have been walking on air. I, I don't... I mean, unless he really didn't want to take one... He'd have been number five taking a penalty for me, number six. We've got down to seven penalty takers and he's nowhere to be seen. And I just felt he, he would have taken one. Just out of curiosity, do you, do you think that would have been wise though? Because for, for me, does he, as soon as he saved that second penalty and then he's, he's not saved the following, what, three or four, do you think he's then worried about tarnishing what he's done before? Because if he steps up and he's the one to then cost us the final, does that then totally disregard, not totally disregard, because nothing will ever disregard the goal he scores. But how much does that then take away from the goal he scored in the 96th minute and the two penalty saves he made? If he caught, because it was like that by that point, by penalty, what, five, it was sudden death. That was it. It was as simple as. So if he does take penalty five or six, like you say, after the, the original ones, is, is he really going to be stepping up to take it? Is that a risk he wants to take? I know he'd want to win it for us like anyone would. But to, to then, to, to, backtrack on everything you've done before that is that do you think that would be a risk worth him taking possibly I mean I from a from a from a perspective of I don't know whether or not when they write the na- their names of the penalty takers down whether they just go with the first five and then the referee sort of sorts the rest out after that or whether it's done the whole list is done before they take the penalties um I don't know I don't know what the admin is on that but I don't I just I felt that having 
having scored the goal in itself, just that one moment might just have been the bit that made him go. Because he was, and, and the Hartlepool fans have, have criticised him for celebrating in front of them and, and for being arrogant. And where else are you going to celebrate? He's, he's wheeled off that way and he's found himself there and he's rubbed it in a bit and they've rubbed it in a bit with us. It's, it's what happens. But just that one individual moment. And he, he is... He is a slightly arrogant character, and and I don't. I'm not saying that in a in a negative way. I don't criticise him for it. He's Brazilian as well. Where, where's where? Why is he not taking a penalty? I just I I'd, I'd say I I've never an advocate for a goalkeeper taking a penalty, only because that's not in their remit. You know, you know, don't know if he's ever practiced in training taking penalties, or whatever. And it's one of those. If he was the one to miss, that's when you would question the management and everything. So that's. For me, unless it gets to that sort of 10, 10 or 11th penalty when a keeper has to, I've never been a big advocate for a, for a goalkeeper taking a penalty. I just, because like I said, if they miss, I, I get your reasoning, but if they miss, that's when you question going like, well, hang on a minute, you've got all these strikers who are paid to take penalties. That's, you know, they're paid to score goals. So, but it's one of those, there's no point in kind of analysing it now because it's over. Um, I completely agree. It's one of those where I've never been a huge fan of the idea of a penalty shootout anyway. All right, you're never going to take to a replay, but the fact that your season ultimately comes down to who can hold their nerve for kicking the ball from 12 yards or whatever. Um, it, it, it was devastating, like Ben says. It's that moment when it when it's, when it's saved. You can't think right we've got one more chance of Gary time it's not like playing a game where you can go oh, start again it's over that's it the whole season everything you've all that emotional investment in the entire season is done and you you just got to suck it up um I was just going to say one thing I'm sure we'll probably do it on a separate podcast talk about the re- retained list or whatever but uh, obviously, the news has come out that Kovalan ha- has left, and, and I wish him all the best. You know, I don't. He's thirty. Give it a go. Port Vale's a big club, um, and all the players who are leaving us. But all to, to all the players leaving us, thank you for giving us arguably one of the best seasons I've ever had as a Torquay fan. We've all had our own. Every no one's had a, a, a comfortable, straightforward year. We've all had to make sacrifices, and to have a team challenging up at the top for the entire season and providing excitement and to the club for providing interviews and updates and some good content. Thank you. Um, all those players, every player who's apart from Max Shee from Rob street, every player who's turned out for us this season is, is a, is a cult hero um, because it will always be the season of Gary time and the season that we should have gone up, but we didn't. Every player who stays, you've got the full backing of every Torquay fan. I've never known us to lose in, in such a game and the overriding emotion from all the fan base, just be pride. You know, 10 years ago, when we lost at Old Trafford. There was a lot of anger towards Buckle, rightly or wrongly at the time. Um, there was a lot of anger towards maybe the fact that we didn't turn up on the day. Damon Lathrop didn't take down John Massinho. Um, But in years to come, a little bit like that Martin Ling season. My overriding memory of that season isn't the Nick Powell equaliser or the Nick Powell goal. It's Plymouth away. It's 
Union O'Kane's goal. It's Nicholson's late goal against Barnet. My overriding emotion of this season, when I look back in years to come, won't be losing at Ashton Gate. It won't be the penalty. It will be Bowden's late goal against Aldershot. It will be Lemon Evans scoring late against Stockport. It will be the Sutton game. It will be going, having the joy of going back on Boxing Day to watch us beat Yeovil 6-1, who'd beaten us 6-2 the previous year, so we got one over them. It, I can't fault any of the players, apart from Josh Umer, all season, because it, it has been fantastic and I, I genuinely wish every player who's leaving all the best and I, and I hope they go on to have fantastic careers I just, yeah can't thank the players the staff the club and Gary Johnson enough I, I'd echo all that I think that's very well said um, my enduring image of the entire season is probably watching a stream at home on a Tuesday night depths of winter freezing cold teams won Empty stadium, Gary Johnson fist pumping a camera perched from a pop side roof. His little salute to the fans saying, You're part of this. He's 65 years old. He feels the cold. He's had a horrible uh, uh, illness. And, and, and he doesn't need to do that. He does it because he loves the fans. He loves he loves the idea of creating a, a mentality of us all being together. And as you said, that's how I felt on Sunday is that it, there was a lot of unity there between players, management, and fans. And it, it felt like one big club. And after a very, very long spell with Gary Hours and a lot of Nicholson's uh, reign where we were just scrapping for every point and it wasn't fun, it wasn't enjoyable and everything was going against us. It just, football has been joyful under Gary Johnson and that's what I take from it more than anything is that it's been fun to go to football matches. You might not win, but you'll have a good time. And I just want to say that it was a real shame I didn't feel like I could salute the players off the field because the high fans ruined that moment for me by invading the pitch and I just went home. I, I didn't stay to try and salute any of the players because they're being mobbed by Hyperpool fans who were just trying to uh, ruin that moment. So I, I echo what you've got to say. Just thank you to all the players, your heroes in my eyes, and thank you for every drop of sweat and um, you put into this season. It, it's been brilliant and I'm just gutted that we couldn't quite get over the line, but, but proud in all the effort we put in. Yeah, it's it's very. Yeah, I agree completely. The Hartlepool fans were were absolutely feral for most of the day. They were they were feral. From you know, the, there were probably about two thousand of them lining the street behind um, Ashton Gate before the game. You know, made it very uncomfortable for us walking through. Which they got. They, there's no reason for them to make it easy for us. But after the game, do we behave like that? You might get one or two idiots that that think it's funny to invade the pitch. We don't we don't go over and goad them. I don't think you know. You leave your leave your bit of goading for social media. You know, you take a bit of stick, you give a bit of stick on there. But there's no need for them to have come come across like they did. And I couldn't tell you who started it or who who in, instigated it. But the fact that there were bottles being thrown from from one side to the other just it was a bit embarrassing. From you know from watching our fans throw them back to their fans throwing them across. I did stay. I, you know, I, I saw it. I, I think it was disgusting, but I, I did manage to to sort of stay and, and applaud the players off the pitch because, like you say, they've given us every single ounce of effort that they they can. And in a season that has been so COVID disrupted, and you know, you've had the Dover. We can call them Dover cunts tonight, can't we? Yes, of course we can. Um, you know, the fact that we've had the you know those clubs who have had COVID riddled seasons. 
you know, to have had a group of players who have, have taken their role and responsibility as, as players of our football club. We've had no COVID cases. We've had no games called off of our own accord for COVID. Um, you know, they've, they've taken that responsibility quite seriously. They've lived away from family and, and living down in this part of the country, you know, we've got, we've got the possibility of people like Cam and, and Sean McDonald who might want to go back home and you can't blame them for that. It's been a really tough period for everybody and they have put every ounce of themselves into Torquay United. And, you know, as you say, you, you can't thank them enough for that. I just, just absolutely echo what Nick said. I mean, I, in terms of the, the fans invading the pitch, you've got to remember how far north they live and the lack of brain cells that come with that, in fairness. So that's always worth remembering that they are just really thick, like really thick. So it's, it's going to happen, isn't it? Um, no, I mean, I think Sam articulated it absolutely beautifully. There's no... There's, there's never been anything that I, I can't remember a time where we've lost in such a gut-wrenching way that could trigger so much anger, especially after, you know, the, the two disallowed goals. No, I mean, the, the goals are a big talking point. They have been tonight, but no one's really talking about that, are they? We're, we're talking about how proud we are of our team. I think, I'm, I, I'm not sure how many people listening would have read the letter I wrote to, to Gary Johnson, but I th- I'd, like to, I'd, I'd like to think, and people have said it, it, it articulates it well, that, it is just pride. That's all we feel for, for for any one of those people that have represented our club on or off the field this season is pride. So no, one hundred percent what what Sam said. I, I think uh, you know I, I I've never ever in my in my although you know maybe not as long as others fifteen years whatever it has been a Torquay fan that I've never been as proud of a team as I am this one. I've never been prouder to support the club I support regardless of what happened on Sunday, regardless of whatever happened this season. They, they've They've made me proud to pull on that shirt as a fan and and going to going to get behind them genuinely and I, I couldn't be looking forward to next season any more as much as it hurts and as much as we've got to go back to Grimsby. Will did did you write a letter to Gary Johnson? Yes, mate. Yeah, I'm not sure no, if you caught it. Yeah. No, do you know what? Nobody's mentioned it. It's it's one that's just sort of flown slightly under the radar. Well, you're very complimentary of it, Nick. So that's very two faced of you, mate. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's you... a lovely letter. If you want to read Will's letter, I think Talky Talk uh, is the place to uh, track down for that. I read it and I agree with every word he said. Um, he goes in great detail about all the players uh, we've had at the club this year and uh, gives them all a little pat on the back. And uh, yeah, it's well worth reading. So well done, Will. And I think that's a very appropriate time to end uh, this look back on Sunday, as we all just admitted how much we love Talk United. I think that's appropriate. So thank you to Nick. Thank you. Thank you to Sam. Thank you. Thank you to Mr. Will Taylor. Thank you very much. We'll be looking forward to hearing from more from you in future podcasts. And thank you to everyone else who's listened and look forward to episode 29, where we will have some opinions on the retained list and players who have chosen to stay and players who have chosen to look for places to play next season elsewhere. So we'll have that for you in the next couple of weeks and we'll try and have a review of the season and maybe a look for uh, ahead of what we can look forward to next season as well but this has been episode 28 and i hope you enjoyed it and we'll speak to you soon thank you very much good night <laughs>